I'd like for you to take your Bibles then and turn with me to Psalm 144. And we just want to speak to you very briefly today about something that we feel that's very, very important for you. Next week we'll have this new stewardship class. You will have a lesson starting out with the the principles of stewardship. It will be on video. We trust that it will be something that you will enjoy. Try, by the help of the Lord, if you will, to attend all the classes. We uh, need our new building so we can have two classes going on at one time. We eventually hope to have three classes going on at one time. We'll have stewardship and my father's house at the same time. We're correlating those two together. We'll have my father's house phase one, phase two, and phase three. At the same time, you'll be taught a stewardship on video. And we trust that you will continue to pray that we'll be able to get the new building that, at this time that we really need. Psalm 144, verse 3. <clears throat> this is a psalm of David. He said, Lord, what is man? that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man, that thou makest account of him. Now you may be seated. Verse 4 says, Man is like vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. I looked up this word vanity several years ago. Uh, recently, if you were in Janesville, you heard Brother Muncie also make mention of this. The word vanity here actually means something that vanishes or it is like a soap bubble that's blown. Now, <clears throat> I thought we were rid of all the toys and, and uh, cribs and high chairs and all this in our house only to find out that when the little ones grandkids come along well then you get invaded once again but I noticed that they had out on the back porch out there a soap bubble it's like a pipe and they dip it in they blow these bubbles but this was a four barrel bubbler you know you blow four at one time and they were, some of the older kids were out in the back blowing all these bubbles and little bitty ones were chasing after them. You see these bubbles that look so beautiful and as the sun shines through them they, they change their colors and they're very fascinating. Very fascinating to, to little tots. And little Lana would run up to grab one, and about the time that it would touch her hand, it would pop, and it's gone. And this is what the psalmist David is saying here. He said, man is like a soap bubble. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. In other words, he's here just for a moment, and then he's gone, and that's it. Now... Verse 3, taking in consideration verse 4, he says, Lord, what is man then that thou takest knowledge of him? 
or the son of man that thou makest a account of him. Now this is prophecy concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you will turn back to Job the 7th chapter verse 17, you will find a scripture that parallels this one. Job 7, if you would. Job seven seventeen. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning, and try him every moment? How long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone, till I swallow down my spittle. I have sinned. We're just going to stop there. I have sinned. And you see, man is here just for a few minutes when we compare man's lifespan to, to God. God always was and always will be. And while the Bible tells us that... that uh, the life of a man is is seventy. Now that's speaking of of uh, the life expectancy of a man. And uh, if by some reason that God blesses, it becomes fourscore or eighty. That's still just a small, small, small dot on a calendar. It's just a little space. And then when you take in consideration that man has disgraced his God by sinning, and that's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. He disgraced his God by sinning. Now, if you look at verse 20 in Job 7, he said, I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Thou preserver of men. Now, keeping this in mind, the last phrase, thou preserver of men, let's turn to Psalm, the 8th chapter, and let's look at verse 4. And here you find an almost identical verse to the two that we have read. Psalm 8 verse 4 is the passage or the scripture, however, that you hear referred to more than the other two. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Question mark. And the son of man that thou visited him. Now notice this is in past tense. Thou visited him. So much of the Old Testament prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ was written in present tense or in past tense. As if it was happening or had already happened. However, at the time of this particular writing, it was several, several hundreds of years before Jesus Christ actually came and visited the planet Earth or came or God manifest himself in human form and visit the planet earth. Now verse 5 says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, 
and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and hast put all things under his feet. Now, when, when God made man, when God made man, he made man distinctively different from all the other creatures that he placed on the planet earth. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, the second chapter, and I think that as we look at uh, Genesis 2, verse 7, now, so many of you are familiar with this, but I'd still like for you to turn back there, if you would. <clears throat> Genesis 2, verse 7, the creative act of God is described, the creative act of Genesis 1, 27. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, this word living soul actually means a living being. When you see the word soul in the Bible, it is making reference to the true being. An example of that, Jesus said, You destroy this temple, speaking of his body, in three days I, he used the term I, will raise it up again. Now when Jesus said, I will raise it up again, the Bible tells us that God raised Jesus from the dead. Did Jesus as a man raise himself? No. But he had an eternal being. And the true identity of Jesus Christ was God. See, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. See, God became man. And when Jesus said, ye destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. He's talking about his true identity. Now, I think all of us can, can relate to this to some degree. Uh, you go in and you, you look in the mirror. And you see yourself and then you pull out a picture of yourself when you were a teenager. Now, especially some of you older people. Put the picture up there by your face and look at your teenage picture along with your present face. And you look at both of them in the mirror. Now you can't really say, wow, I'm not myself anymore. Now you can't say that because you're always yourself. Now you may change, but you're always yourself. And the reason why that we use that, that, that particular language is this. That you see, God has so made man of such nature and such consciousness that he, he understands that if he, if he loses an arm, he's still himself. If he loses his teeth through old age, as described in Ecclesiastes 13, he's still himself. If his eyes fail and he needs some help in order to see, he's still himself. If his hair turns white, 
he's still himself. If it falls out, he's still himself. If he's crippled or maimed or something, he's still himself. For all of us, even though we change, we understand that there's something about us in which we identify with some other power that constantly makes us ourselves. See, when God made man, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living being. Now this word living being here, it doesn't just refer to pulsation. Just because he can breathe. And because that he has blood going through his system. Now when Jesus was here, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What do you mean by the life? Jesus claimed to be the life. Now that is literally meaning the source of all life. And this is the reason why that Paul, when he wrote the book of Colossians, the first chapter, and then the second chapter, he's saying by him all things were created, and by him all things exist. When Paul preached in Acts 17... He said, we are the offsprings of God. So the word life here, and when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, life is speaking of eternal life. And eternal life cannot be quenched. It cannot be stopped. You see, when God made man, he made man in his own likeness and his own image. Distinctively different from all other creatures that he had made prior to making man. So you could take Genesis, the second chapter, verse 7, and you could read it like this. And you would not be in contradiction with any of the word of God or in error, because it could be translated like this. And God formed man of the dust of the ground, and God blew into his nostrils the wind of life, or the eternal wind, and man became an eternal being. He became an eternal being. Now, in the book of Psalms, where we have just read uh, from, and the book of Job, the big question then was asked by David. It was also asked by Job. It was asked by the psalmist in Psalm 8. When he looked at man who is here just for a brief period of time and then vanishes... And to see that all of God's plan seems to evolve around such a small portion of his creation. The question then is raised, what is man that God is so mindful of him? What makes him so different? That all of the plan of God 
evolves around man. Now the reason why I think is very clear and it is very apparent in the scripture. The reason why is because man is different. He is related to God. He is kin to God. He was made in the likeness and the image of God. God seemed to take a part of himself and squeeze it off, so to speak, and put it into man to make man eternal. Even when Jesus was here, what did he say? He said, haven't you read, and he read from the book of Psalms, that ye are gods? Now use a little g, or it's, I say use a little g, it is translated with a little g, because none of us are gods as God is, but it's making reference to that we are his offspring. And the reason why that God is so concerned about us, because he understands something about himself. God always was, he is present, he always will be. Now you came out of the source that always was. He divided you, however, from himself. Now I'm not trying to teach that you're some kind of a deity. Please understand that. But I'm trying to tell you that because you came out of God and because that you're God's offspring, you are eternal. And this is the reason why that when God looked down upon his creation that had sinned against him prior to the flood, even though he repented that he had made man, the Bible says that God waited for 120 years before he destroyed man. He did not want to destroy man. Why? Because he understood that man was eternal. Now the soul of man is the seat of the emotions. It is what man identifies with himself with most of all. In Matthew the 26th chapter verse 38, Jesus uses this. He said, now is my soul exceedingly sorrowful. Now, Jesus was contemplating death. He was going into the Garden of Gethsemane. He was looking for some one to pray with him. And so he said, now is my soul exceedingly sorrowful. He connects emotions with the soul. Mark the 8th chapter, and I'd like for you, if you would, to turn there with me to Mark 8. Mark the 8th chapter, verse 37. <clears throat> let's, let's start reading at verse 34, however. The true use of life. And the value of a soul is explained. This is also explained in Matthew 16 and in Luke 9. But in Mark 8:34, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
You see, because man had sinned, when he produced an offspring likened to himself, the sin of that iniquity was transferred into him. Now that's a law of God in the Bible. It's under the law of sowing and reaping. You pass this on to the generation to follow. Now Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. In other words, there are certain things that, 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 that you need to understand that are not right for you to do. You cannot be my disciple unless you understand that and stop doing it. Verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Now I understand that this is, by and large, talking about a man giving his life altogether to the Lord to the point that he's willing to lay down his life for his brothers, or he's also willing to spend his life just as a man would spend a coin. He's willing to spend his life for Jesus' sake. But his whole life, in essence, must really be lost. While we are the offspring of God, by virtue of birth, dating all the way back to the creation, the new birth that comes upon us, that's explained in Acts the second chapter and John the third chapter and that the, the puppets sung about this morning. You must be born again. You see, the Holy Ghost that comes upon us, the word ghost can or spirit can also be translated wind or breath. This is the reason why in Acts the second chapter, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came as a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty breath or wind. And we must receive that second breath of God in order to be preserved eternally. And I use the word preserved eternally. Now we're going to all live as eternal beings someplace. Because that that element of God is in you, and because then that you will live eternally, you want to make sure that when you die or you vanish as a soap bubble would vanish, that you have been born again so that you secure an everlasting, abundant life in the presence of God forever. You see, the devil was also an offspring of God. And all of the angels were offsprings of God. And because that the devil sinned, God prepared a place called hell or the lake of fire. Now the lake of fire or hell is prepared for the devil and his angels according to Matthew 25, 41. But because that man sins... Because that he chose voluntarily to sin. Because that he is of this sinful nature. And because that he never is born again. Or receives that new breath of life. 
because that he chooses iniquity rather than righteousness, he is cast into the lake of fire. The Bible says where the fire is not quenched and the worm never dieth and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and ever. Now we're talking about something that's very, 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 very important for you to consider. You know, there are just a lot of people that never give any thought to the fact that they're eternal beings. And so as a result, they just kind of live for this present day, and, and, and that's it. Not realizing that if they die in sin, never having accepted the new birth that Jesus Christ came to offer, And then they pass on to the presence of the Lord unprepared. They're then taken and cast into hell. Now that comes about as a result of direct choice. Matthew or Mark 8, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for for my sake and the gospel is the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? And then lose his own being. His own soul. You see, if if you set out to be the world's most successful person. And you were able to take complete control of every parcel of land on this planet earth. And you owned it. That simply means that then you would own everything in the planet earth. All the gold and the silver and everything you would own. But if you gain the whole world, I mean everything that's in the planet earth, and then lose your own soul, Jesus said, now tell me what have you really gained? Why? Because you're like a soap bubble. You're here only a few, few short moments of time. It's like a shadow that vanishes away. It's ever changing. Verse 37 or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, w- would you take some of the precious commodities of the planet Earth and say, I'll sell my soul and exchange it for that? Now, when I'm up here talking like this, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That people would take some little worldly pleasure or something and exchange their soul for it. Whosoever... Therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, the horror of losing the soul is found in Matthew 10. If you'll just look back there with me, Matthew 10. The value of the soul, what's worth more than all the the gold and the silver and every parcel of land on the planet earth. The horror of losing, look at this. Jesus said, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him that is able to destroy both soul 
and body in hell. Now you may say, well, it says that the soul and the body are destroyed in hell. The word destroy or killed is used because it's making reference to the second death. So you will die one time, but there will be another death. The thing about the other death is that constantly throughout eternity, you're in the process of destruction. <laughs> I know, I know what I know what you're thinking when I talk like this because this this has come up in my own mind. You may say that's so unfair. You know, I've had a lot of people say that's unfair. And somebody directly asked me not too long ago, said, don't you think that hell's unfair? And I said, I certainly do. I really do. I think this is unfair. You may say, well, if it's unfair, then why is it? Well, you see, this is what this is this is this addresses the question or the statement of the psalmist when he said, "What is man that God is so mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visited him?" I think it's answered right there. He's called the preserver of life because that God knows that you're eternal, and He knows that sin will destroy you. And God, knowing that an eternal being would suffer forever and ever 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 in the lake of fire, and knowing that you deserve something better, He came and visited the planet Earth to redeem you. Praise God. And now God says, yes, it is unfair because your soul is worth more. Than the whole world itself. And hell was prepared not for you, but the devil and his angels. You go there because you want to go there. And it seems so unfair that an eternal being like you would be cast in the lake of fire because of disobedience. So I'm going to come and visit the planet earth and shed blood upon the cross. And provide a new way for you so that you can be saved. You don't have to die lost. And there's nobody that sits under the sound of my voice this morning that has to die the miserable, 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 miserable death of hell. I cannot feature what it would be like, and neither could you. I believe that somehow we could walk to the brink of eternity and God could take and pull back the curtains and allow us to see into the lake of fire that all of us here today, if we were forced to stand there and gaze... For any period of time, we would go insane. But on the other hand, if God were to walk to the brink of eternity and pull back the curtain that that showed us the open road to the holy city and showed us all the rejoicing of heaven when one sinner repents, as the angels actually dance in the presence of God, around the throne in the holy city that there wouldn't be one sinner that wouldn't drop to his knees and repent but you see the truth of the matter is it's all in the book you need no more conclusive evidence than for God to say it 
See, God just doesn't want people to serve Him because they're afraid to go to hell. He doesn't want people to become disciples because they're they just don't want to burn. The book says all that needs to be said. And you and I living on this side of eternity have the distinct honor and privilege of living for God. You may have to suffer some persecution and there may be some relatives that don't understand. And there may be some friends that that would call you foolish. But how long is that going to last? Let me talk to you about foolishness just for a moment. Let's turn to Luke 20, or Luke 12, pardon me. <clears throat> Starting with verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. We all like to be successful. This man was a farmer. He wanted to be a successful one. And he thought with it himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, or I will say to myself, that's what he's saying. I will say to myself, Self, thou hast made much goods, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, just party away, friend. Self, you're going to have a good time. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I use the word self there because that's the way we think the true identity, the true being. But it's actually your soul that is eternal. But God said unto him, Thou fool. Now you're talking about foolishness. Now this is the way God looks at something. Now you're not saying it's all wrong for you to want to be successful. He's not saying that you shouldn't try to be successful. In our stewardship classes we teach many, many, many scriptures from the Word of God where God wants to prosper you and He wants to bless you. But see, the problem this is that the man, he just wanted to eat, drink, and be merry. He forgot, see, something. God said unto him, Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? You know, the ancient Egyptians thought that when a man died, that he took everything with him. So when they buried his body, they buried all of his riches. But you can go to Egypt, and you can look around where some of the pyramids and things have been opened, and some of the tombs have been opened, and, and here this individual's body still rests, but all of his riches are right there buried with him. That's as far as they got. He didn't take them with him. He left his body here and he also left his riches here. 
And notice what he said, you're going to lose all these things anyway. I read a, read a slogan one time that went like this. It said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And the only reason why this man was considered a fool by God is because that he left out the most important thing of life, and that is a relationship with God. Now, can you imagine the very last words on this planet Earth that this man ever heard was, Thy fool. Those are the last words he heard. Thy fool. Now verse 21 says, So is he that layeth up treasures for himself, and is not rich toward God. So this, this is what uh, Jesus was teaching. He was teaching us that, that regardless of what role in life you lead, you may be a butcher, you may be a construction worker, you may be a plumber, you may be an electrician, you may be an attorney, you may be an accountant. All of these things God wants to grant you success in, but however, don't forget your soul. And the whole trip of 33 plus years by God on the planet earth visiting man was because he understood the value of the soul. Praise God. We want you to stand at this time with me. If you have never made peace with God, your heart is not right with Him, there's no better day than this day. No better day than this day. Sunday morning, August 26th, 1984. You may say, and this happens to a lot of people, they say, well, I've got everything I need. I've talked to a lot of people about the Lord, and they say, well, I have everything I need. Friend, if you don't have God, you don't have everything you need. But I've got this, and I've got that, and look how the Lord, or look how I've been blessed. That may be true. But when God looks down at all of that and sees that you're not content because you don't have Him, He says, oh, you're not successful. You just think you are. He goes on to say, well, if you gain what you have plus what all your neighbors have and all your friends have and everybody in the city of Madison has and everybody in the city of Wisconsin, or state of Wisconsin has and, and what everybody in all the 50 states have, if you could go so far as to conquer the whole world so that every man becomes a servant to you and at the snap of your fingertips you could have everything you want. He said, listen, you haven't profited anything if you lose your soul. Eternity? How long is eternity? There is no way. 
that I could even describe it. One writer put it this way. He said, if the planet Earth was a gigantic stainless steel ball, and if a gentle dove could pass by, as a comet passes through space and brush his wing against the earth one time in one million years, when the planet earth would be worn away, eternity would still be here forever and ever and ever. So what is man that God is so mindful of him? Do you really appreciate the fact that God haunts you when you do things wrong? Do you appreciate the fact that he follows you like a hound in the night and deals with your soul when you're wanting him to leave you alone? Do you appreciate conviction that comes by words like these that you're presently hearing? You need to because God loves you. On both sides of the pulpit there is a place for you to come right now to kneel and pray. If you realize your need of God, why don't you step out from where you are right now and come and bend your knee and call upon God. This could be the best day of your life. Praise God. Who'd like to step out first and come and surrender their heart to the Lord? Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on right now, would you? Glory to God, glory to God. I know we have people here who like to do it. Don't hesitate. Don't stand back. Just come on and pray. It's not going to hurt you. It's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. Praise God. Praise God. Here's how we end all of our Sunday morning services. We ask everybody to turn and kneel in their pew. And after they have prayed, they may consider themselves dismissed. Remember our service tonight at 7 o'clock. God bless you for coming and be our guest.